Thank you. That's a great song. That's, that could be the theme song for this, uh, this message and these two parables we want to look at today in Matthew chapter 13, look at, looking at uh, verses 44, 45, and 46. As we continue looking into the parables of Jesus, simple stories, daring truths, because the parables, as much as the whole ministry of Jesus, is, is focused on the kingdom of God. And that's a daring truth. And we'll be learning more about the kingdom of God as we look at the parables of Jesus. So I hope you can be here every time I'm here, which will be from here to eternity, I think, at this point. So uh, get prepared, you know, make it a priority. Bring your Bibles, look at the parables along with me, and we're going to gain some insights into the character and the economy, the constitution, uh, the, just the nature of the kingdom of God and where we fit in and how it operates in our lives. So let's, uh, let's look at Matthew 13, verses 44 and 45. The kingdom of heaven, and let me just add, the kingdom of heaven is the same as the kingdom of God. Okay, Take my word for it. I'll prove it to you later if you don't believe me. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. You know, there are, I found that there are just so many illustrations. I've saved them over the years. Um, so many illustrations of people finding hidden treasure. Yeah, we're surrounded by valuables that are hidden to our eyes a lot of times. I think the uh, Antiques Roadshow really demonstrates this. Do you ever watch the Antiques? As everybody's seen it, haven't they, at least once? Do you know what I'm talking about? The well, it depends on, <laughs> it, it, it depends on appraisers expertly qualified to recognize the value of things that are so familiar to us that sometimes we just, you know, we, we look past them, they collect dust, uh, they sit around for years on end, and they don't really grab or grip our attention any longer. And then the Antiques Roadshow comes along and we go, I wonder what that thing's worth. Uh, Another thing that is the premise of this show is the fact that people bring in these things that, you know, <laughs> we don't know what, they, what, what it's worth. And sometimes it turns out that it's not worth very much. But sometimes, and most often, and this is what I think keeps people coming back, is that these ordinary things or things that have become ordinary to their owners, they bring them in and an expert appraiser, qualified to recognize the value of what they've got, puts a price tag on it and they just, the joy, you know, you just see it in their countenance, they're so excited. 
And I got to thinking this week, you know, that, that changes everything. You, I, you can't imagine them going home and treating that object, which now has been appraised at, you know, a sum far greater than they ever imagined, that they're going to they're gonna handle it the way they handled it before. That they're, you think they're going to display it the way they displayed it before? You think they're going to talk about it the way they talked about it? No, everything's changed. It's a whole new world because they found out the value of what's right in their midst. Just a personal, over the years, I know I'm, I'm younger than I look, but <laughs> I know that uh, I'm getting up there. But the more I live, the more people are very valuable to me. Uh, I, if there's one thing that we know intellectually, uh, we know it from Jesus. We know it from the Word of God. We know it from Genesis 1.1, that we're... People are made in the image of God, and they're worth a son to God the Father, that he should give his one and only son to die for you and for me. That obviously, intellectually, puts an inestimable worth on each and every person. But experientially is what I want to talk about. It's just I have found that as I've gotten to know people more and more over the years that there is there's a quality to people. There's a truth to people. There's stories to people. There's experience to people that you just don't see on the surface. And when you get time with with people, it doesn't matter kind of what they look like on the outside or how the world evaluates them. People are interesting. People have great worth. And we discover it and experience it. And I think the Lord opens the door to that, by the way. I think the love of Jesus Christ causes us to, to start down that road and get to know people in a way that brings to our awareness their importance. But there are things in life and there are people in life that are far more valuable than we realize. Just like there are treasures that are hidden that uh, we find or pearls of great price that we discover. Stan Caffey cleaned out the garage. Uh, it had collected years of things. Uh, in there were boxes of clothing, bicycles, um, tools, computer parts, and he just he packaged it all up and took it to Goodwill, along with a picture of the Declaration of uh, Independence, which hung over his workbench, and uh, left it all at Goodwill, and along came a man by the name of Michael Sparks, who spotted that Declaration of Independence, and uh, for $2.48, he took it home. He later auctioned it for almost half a million dollars because it was a, a, a special copy, a rare copy of the Declaration of Independence that was made in 1823. Well, of course, this caught the attention of the newspapers. And, uh, you know, 
<laughs> Declaration of Independence, $2.48, sells for $477,650. And so they, <laughs> they went to look up Stan Caffey to get his reaction to the fact that he had given away something that was worth almost a half a million dollars, and this is what he said. He said, well, I'm happy for Michael Sparks. If I still had it, it would still be hanging here in the garage and I still wouldn't know it was worth all that. I think there's a moral here, you see. There are things in our midst, things that we overlook, sometimes that are not obvious to the eye, that are worth more than we realize. And that becomes the basis of these parables. Jesus really, I think, wants us to see the inestimable, the great, the supreme worth of the kingdom of God. And for some of us, even though this is not relative to the actual historical telling of these parables, for some of us, we need to get back to appreciating that. Because just as in life, things can creep in and we take them for granted. We forget what a privilege and we lose sight of how precious are things that are familiar to us. And yet, they are priceless. So, we're surrounded by valuables that we sometimes fail to appreciate. And for some of this, us, that, that includes, in degree, the very kingdom of God of which Jesus is uh, speaking about. And these parables feature the true appraisal of God's kingdom. Both parables are simple stories but they convey daring truths. Here are three things that I just want to quickly uh, acquaint you with about these parables. And the first is that these two parables agree on the ultimate value of the kingdom. You'll notice the words, all they had. Each man gave up all he had to acquire, to gain in the case of one, the field, in the case of the other, the pearl of great price. And Jesus is saying, this is like the kingdom of God. A second thing, they differ in that in the first parable, the man stumbles upon the treasure hidden in the field. And in the second, the man searches deliberately for a pearl of great value. And third they both find what is more valuable than all they had. They both find something more valuable than each man had. So, both parables invite us to find the kingdom. Both parables, in a sense, uh, because the parables of Jesus are so personable, and it's the very nature of a parable, as we saw last week, or I mentioned last week, to invite us to situate ourselves in the parable, to become part of the parable, to identify with something in the parable. And so here, just like an invaluable treasure or a priceless pearl, God's kingdom is worth all we've got. That's it. I mean, that's a powerful truth. And in fact, both of these parables are telling us to give up all we've got to gain something that is far greater, the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you? 
if you found a hidden treasure? In the first parable, the man gave up all he had to gain something that was greater. That's the basic truth of the parable. Back in in those days, it was common to bury treasure. They didn't have banks like we do to deposit or even in a safety deposit box, keep our treasure safe. Sometimes when people travel to the United States from other countries, and I even heard of this just recently, within the last couple of months, somebody had hidden their, their valuables in their own home. And of course, thieves broke in and stole it. And that was the very uh, heart of one of Jesus' parabolic sayings when he talked about don't store up treasure on earth where moth and thief and so forth because these things can get at true values. Um, But in that day, they often buried things, especially in time of war. Even Josephus, the historian of that period, tells us, uh, gives us evidence of of, uh, and examples of people burying things. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which were discovered back in 1947. Uh, The Dead Sea Scrolls were buried. They were archived uh, in 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 an attempt to keep them out of the hands of foreigners who would not value them the way they did. So they put them for safekeeping. And of course, we don't even know that there aren't still more scrolls to be found. What's interesting is the copper scroll, which is one of those scrolls that was buried in that very uh, time frame, tells of great treasure that has been buried and hidden in places all over the area. In fact, the copper scroll mentions 64 different places. Now, it doesn't, it's not like a treasure map per se, but it, it mentions, for example, silver and gold and such valuables buried in cisterns, which are like wells, uh, under stones, in fields, and in burial mounds. Remember the parable of the pounds? We'll probably look at that at some point when Jesus gave to one, or not Jesus, but the character, the main character of the parable, gave to one servant. 10 pounds or 10 talents, and to another five, and to another one, and he said, invest. Well, one did what with it? He buried it because he didn't want to lose it. And in fact, this man finds this treasure, and when he discovers it, he buries it again to keep it safe until he can buy the field. Because he's an ethical guy. He's not just going to steal it. He's going to buy the field and take ownership of it, and it'll cost him all he's got. And that was not an uncommon practice in the day. But what often happened, and this is the basis of this story, is sometimes when somebody buried something, they didn't tell anybody where they buried it. And if something uneventful happened to them and they should die suddenly, nobody in the family knows where it is. You know, loose lips sink ships and, yeah. So oftentimes there were just such things that were buried only to be be discovered later. The point is clear, for that which is of great value, you give up all you've got to obtain what's worth more than all you have ever had. That's really the nature of uh, my own 
conversion back in 1972. Um, I'd been around the church. My parents took me to church, but I really didn't come into contact with, with Jesus. And that, when I kind of stumbled on Jesus in a very personal way, I realized it was going to cost me everything. And maybe you remember that. When you realize that, that Jesus was confronting you in a personal way to make him your Lord and your Savior. And you knew that to do that, it was going to cost you everything. Now, that's certainly the way the people that I hung out with looked at it. They would have thought odd of me if I kept hanging out with them and doing the things that we were doing and just carrying on as though Jesus uh, had no claim on my life at all. I knew he had a claim. And I knew the cost of that claim. Total surrender, just as we sang before we, we began looking at these parables together. That claim remains in place. That claim remains real to us each and every day. I was on a canal bank in the dark by myself, you know, an irrigation ditch, and the water was moving by, and it was just me and God. And I was on that ditch because I was wrestling with the claim of his lordship upon my life. I knew it would cost me everything. And that is what I still wrestle with in my life. And I know it's true for you too. Each and every day that claim weighs upon us. But there's something powerful to be appreciated. And it's in these parables. It's that when we give up all we've got to get that, to gain that, which is greater than all we've ever had. It's there that we realize the power, the joy, all the beauty of the kingdom of God in our lives. His lordship, his saviorhood in our lives. We have to let go to grasp Jesus. Now, when I was uh, training for ministry, I mean, if I hadn't been on that canal bank and made the decision, I wouldn't be talking to you now. And I look back over my life and I see all the change that he's made, all the joy, all the fruit. And I bet you can too. So you understand that you've got to let go. And I met Charlie Crane as a young, uh, young guy that was just trying to live out this discipleship. And Charlie had been, he was older than me, and Charlie had been stationed in Panama. Uh, when he was in the in the military, and uh, when he, they were in Panama on their time off, they there were lots of spider monkeys around, and they would catch the spider monkeys by taking a coconut and hollowing it out, and then dropping a piece of candy through the hole. And the spider monkey would stick his hand into the coconut to get the the candy and then go to pull it out but of course he couldn't pull it out because his fist was bigger than the hole so he could get his hand in but he couldn't get his fist out and that's how they caught the spider monkeys because they're very spidery very quick and can't be caught but if you're dragging a coconut around you can be caught 
And so the issue for the spider monkey is always, you know, how, how real is my freedom now? Uh, am I willing to let go of the candy? And isn't that funny in the movie? Sometimes you see somebody, you know, where there's a plot to get great wealth or gold in the movie, and then they, they acquire it, but only at the cost of their lives. You know, they're sinking down in the ocean or whatever because they can't let go of the gold. Well, I, I understand that's a little upside down, but in our Christian life, it's... it's it's in the kingdom of God. It's, it's in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's with him as Lord and Savior. It's when we surrender, when we give up, when we turn over, that we experience in all of its fullness the leading and the fullness of God in our lives. And the kingdom becomes real. And the truths of Scripture become real that seem so unreal to the rest of the world. And that's the challenge for us. Sometimes we give up our leadership in this respect. Each one of us walks with Jesus Christ. We walk in community because each one of us walks individually as a disciple of him. And it's as we, in that allegiance, follow him that we find ourselves in the comradeship and the community of others who are also putting him first. But we give up that leadership when we're just in the fellowship without being in, so to speak, the kingdom. And this is impressed upon us through the parables of Jesus, as we'll see. Wouldn't you give up all you've got to gain that which is greater, the kingdom of God? Wouldn't you if you found a priceless pearl? You know what I found? Not only is it echoed here that this man gave up all he had to gain what was priceless and what, what was greater than all he had, but what I found so interesting is that pearls were of the highest value. They were more precious than gold. I didn't know that. I thought, how, how could I be the age I am and not know that? How could I be the student of history I am and not know that? But I didn't. It was greatly impressed upon me just this week. In fact, uh, Pliny in his natural history, and he was contemporaneous with all these events, uh, roughly, he assigned to the pearl first rank, quote-unquote, highest position among all valuables, quote-unquote. And the Prized pearls were found in the Persian Gulf. So you see this man seeking pearls. He's a merchant, and so he's traveling to where the pearls are. But pearls were of such great worth. In fact, Julius Caesar, one pearl, paid six million sesterces as a gift to the woman that he had his eyes upon. He so cherished her, he wanted to gift her with this six million Sesterces pearl. Now, what? How much is that? Well, a six million sesterces pearl would be the equivalent of feeding an army of six thousand and their families for a year. That's a lot. Cleopatra, when she and Anthony were hanging out together, had a pair of pearls that were worth three times that amount. Pearls were the most prized, and of course, they became 
renowned. In fact, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before. I mean, it, it was proverbial how significant they were. But the point is clear. For that which is greatest, you give up all you've got. Here, again, the kingdom is likened to something of supreme value. And when we look at it that way, wouldn't we do the same? Here is Jesus who gives us his expert appraisal of the kingdom of God. He who reveals this to us. Wouldn't you do likewise? Will you give up all you've got to gain God's kingdom? Paul understood this, not as something done, you know, when we just pray a simple prayer and then that's it and kind of coast along or float along. Paul said in Romans 12:1 that we sacrifice ourselves, do we not? To present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And so, when I think about this, here was this question that I wrestled with. What if you didn't have enough? What if all you had wasn't enough? What if you found the treasure and the field that it was buried in, you converted all you had, but it wasn't enough to get the field? Or you're a merchant and you're seeking a pearl and you give up Sell all that you have, all the pearls that you've amassed to get that one pearl, but you haven't got enough. Well, you see in the parables, you've got enough. And I think there's a great truth there, and I don't want you to miss it. All you've got is enough, but it's all you've got. And that constantly is the challenge for us to grow and to thrive in the kingdom of God. That's the challenge to me on a regular basis. That's the challenge to us in Jesus' teaching. Listen, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for me, you'll discover it again and again. How about this? Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies... It does nothing, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Sell all you've got. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What did his disciples do? They left everything and followed him. Jesus said, you can't be my disciple." Kind of reminds me of that movie, A Few Good Men. You can't handle the truth. I don't know if he sounded like that, but you can't be my disciple unless you hate your own father, your own mother, your own wife. Well, I'm in good, pl- I'm in good stead then because I already hate my mother, my father, my wife, my children. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's challenging us to hate those. In fact, he ends by saying even our own life, to hate our own life for his sake. Obviously, he's not saying literally hate because he went on to say things like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Well, certainly mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife, children qualify 
But the point is, are you willing to give up all you've got? How is it to your advantage, he says, to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What can you give in exchange for your life? In other words, to gain your life, to live it and experience it in all the fullness that the Creator intended, you've got to turn it over, give it up, let it go for the kingdom. Because the kingdom has a constitution. The kingdom has a currency. The kingdom has a character. The king has a uniform. The king has a code. And although we're going to be looking at that, Jesus summed it up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled right there. That's why he could say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's all you've got, you see. And at the same time, you'll find the kingdom is all you'll need. You'll lack for nothing. Or when he says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Those are in apposition. I didn't know what that word meant until I got into, you know, learning about language. Apposition means to be set side by side because they're taken as saying the same thing. They're getting at the same truth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. There it is. That's why I did a, I officiated a wedding on Friday, and uh, I always tell the couple, the scripture says you're, you're becoming one. In marrying, you become one, one flesh. And in fact, I, I said, Jesus wants us to become one. The way to become one is to have one heart, one Lord, and one commitment. And when I talk to them about one Lord, it's so important in life. And I'm, I'm talking to you from the bottom of my heart to have somebody that's bigger than you. And that one who's bigger than me is Jesus Christ. If you don't have somebody that's bigger than you, that you will bow to, that you trust so much that you'll allow that one who's bigger to tell you what to do, then in doing it on your own, you will not be able to carry out the highest values. You will not be able to submit to the things that even you subscribe to. But when a couple, getting back to the marriage, when you put the Lord first, and when you put the Lord first, when you love Him first, you'll always love your spouse more than you would love your spouse on your own. And that's just, in a, in a sense, what I'm trying to give us, that, that, that understanding of, of what happens to us when we make Christ first in our lives. Michael Jackson, I don't know if you saw the 60-minute special on Sunday, two whole hours given to Michael Jackson. Some of you look a little baffled. I, I, you, 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 know, you know that Michael died, don't you? Okay. Well, uh, Michael died almost four years ago in 2009 and, um, in July. And uh, they did a special 
on Michael Jackson, and uh, this was something that caught my attention. And this was the theme of the whole two hours. The Michael Jackson brand is alive and well paid. The pop legend has made more money in death than he ever did alive. In fact, they took you to a 20,000 square foot warehouse just from top to bottom, end to end, full of Michael Jackson's belongings. And, and it reminded me of Citizen Kane, you know, it reminded me of the Randolph story and just how he had treasures and treasures. And if you've been to Hearst Castle, then, uh, you know, Randolph Hearst, and you understand some of what he had amassed. Some of us can't even imagine such such wealth. And, and that's what came to mind. Um, and, and they were interviewing a number of uh, experts. His even, even the very executor of his uh, estate as the family fights over the, his wealth. And uh, Zach O'Malley Greenberg, who was one of the experts who's been doing uh, research, uh, was interviewed by the journalist Laura Logan. And he said this, since Michael Jackson died, the estate has taken over $600 million in. They've amassed over 600. This has wiped out the debt that he had when he died. And, and he went on to say, and that's more than any single living artist has made over that period of time. In other words, if you're not getting it, Michael Jackson, who's dead, is making more money than any single living artist alive. That's pretty amazing. And that was the subject of a 60 minutes, two hour. Here's the point I want to make. You and I, in the kingdom of God, are to make more in life than in death. And sometimes we think about the kingdom of God as something that starts when we die. Eternal life is not something that starts when we die. It's not post-mortem. Eternal life starts now. That's a corollary of the kingdom. God wants to thrive in us here and now, each and every day. Our best days are now. When it comes to the kingdom of God, Jesus died. What did he give up? He gave up everything. Just like those in the parables. He, as it were, went and sold all he had to buy you on the cross. Think about that. And what does he get for it? What does he want for it? The kingdom, the kingdom of God, that people should see in their midst an army of people that are distinct and particular and separate unto him. That's what you and I are to be, whether we're marching in step or on reconnaissance, that we should be so vibrantly real. Are we going to fall short? Are we going to fail? Yeah. But that's the constant thing in my mind is give it your all. Give it your all. Give it your all. When I was an athlete, that's what I would be told. You ever done athletics of any kind? There are all kinds now. Even golf is. Some argue about this, but I'm convinced it is. 
But whatever you do, what, whatever you do, if you think about it as a sport, if you had a coach, your coach would be saying, give it all you've got. And any athlete that uh, kind of dawns on the world scene didn't get there by giving it all he or she had just in one event or on race day. You give it all you've got all the time. And that's what we're called to do. That's what this parable is challenging us to do for the supreme value of the kingdom of God. Will you stand with me? What would it mean to give all you've got today? If you were to surrender to give all you've got unto the Lord today, where would the challenge be for you? In your marriage, with your children, with your parents, with your boss, with a relative, with a friend, driving home. You see, there are many occasions. Keep that in mind. What it means to give it all you've got to gain the greater worth of the kingdom of God. It's applicable each and every day of our lives. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the work of your Spirit leading us day in, day out. And may we treasure, cherish who we are, what we are, because of you, in the way we lean and depend upon your power to be Christ-like in every area of our lives. This we pray in Jesus' matchless name and all of God's people said, God bless you.